Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk about the best thing to ever happen to people that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. That's because sometimes the things that have a major influence on someone's life will never show up on a resume, in a conversation, or on the internet. I'm your host, Antonio Neves, and each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I met a few years back on the speaker circuit, and I was immediately blown away by him and his powerful message of positivity. John Gordon is an entrepreneur, author, and as mentioned, a phenomenal speaker who speaks all across the world at top companies and also to professional and collegiate sports teams. John's books, including The Carpenter, The Energy Bus, and the power of a positive team have sold millions of copies across the globe. That's right, millions. His latest two books are The Coffee Bean and Stay Positive. John Gordon, welcome to The Best Thing. Antonio, you are the best. Thank you. Thanks, man. I got to tell you, before we dig into this question, John, I was not long ago, I had a speaking engagement in Idaho. And when I was gearing up to go there, they said something to me that made me freeze. They're like, yeah, last year, our speaker was John Gordon. I was like, oh, no, I have to follow this guy. So uh, you kept me on my toes, even though you weren't there. I appreciate it. And then they probably said, we're glad we had you because you were better. No, man, they they were raving about you, and it was just an honor to be at such a prestigious event, knowing that you had spoke there previously. But let, let, let's dig into the question. So, so John Gordon, what would you say is the, the quote-unquote best thing to ever happen to you uh, that wouldn't appear in your bio or come up in a conversation or be one of those traditional markers of success like getting married or having kids? I really have two things. And, and the first one is when my wife came up to me and she said, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You're negative all the time and you need to change or we're over. And I looked at myself at that time and I had changed. I had become very negative. I had allowed the stress and the fear of life to really cause me to crumble from the inside out. The pressure of marriage and two small children. I was around 30 years old. It was so hard, Antonio. But but I, I changed in that moment. I mean, it was like a wake-up call for me. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change. Please stay and I'll change. And she agreed to stay. I agreed to change. And I began this journey of becoming a more positive person. So the work that I do now was born out of all that pain, all of that negativity, all of those challenges. And so people think I'm Mr. Positive. People who read my books and listen to my podcasts and so forth think I'm Mr. Positive, but but they really need to know the truth that the best thing that happened to me was that I was negative and my wife gave me an ultimatum. She was really strong. Like if she would have allowed me to to keep on giving her, you know, all this negative stuff, then she would have lost herself. And then I would have lost the woman who would help me become who I am today, and she would have been miserable. We probably wouldn't have made it. But because she was strong and she stayed, you know, really committed to what she wanted. She knew who she was. She knew what she wanted. She wasn't going to allow this guy who was being a jerk to affect her life. She gave me that ultimatum, and then she made me a better person for it. 
have to ask you, that's interesting to hear that. And I'm sure you're not the first person to have a spouse come up to them to say something similar. Uh, however, in my experience, what a lot of people do when they get that type of feedback, they immediately will get will get defensive. They'll come up with excuses or they will, will point a finger and try to reverse it. What allowed you, John, in that moment? Uh, and I'm thinking for listeners as well who may be experiencing something similar. What allowed you to be open to learning and willing to make that shift. Of course, you, you could have lost your wife and, and your family, but the humility that's that that's required to be open. Yeah, that's such a great question because I, I really don't know. I mean, even before that, we had had a fight and I said, I'm so miserable because you make me miserable. And she started to cry. And when she started to cry, I realized, no, she didn't make me miserable. It wasn't her fault. It was my fault. And so through the fighting and then the ultimatum, I was willing to look at myself and say, how can I change? What do I need to do? And I think so many people, like you just said it, they're unwilling to change. They're unwilling to look at themselves. They're unwilling to see what they need to do. We resist the most what we need the most. And so I I don't know. I guess I was just open in that moment. It was my time. It was it was a moment that would shift me forever. Now, I didn't become a great person right overnight. I'm writing a book right now with my wife called Relationship Grit, and I'm reliving a lot of these moments. And as I'm writing this book and she's writing her sections, we're going back and forth. It's really a cool conversational style back in the, you know, back and forth with the book. Uh, I'm recognizing, you know, how it didn't happen overnight. I was still a little bit of a jerk at times. I still had my lapses, you know, my, I was a jerk in recovery, right? So I would still have those moments where the stress would affect me and, and life would get to me. I would say something stupid, but I was making progress. I was on the path to becoming a better person. And I, again, I was willing to change and I don't know why, but I just knew I needed to. And on that note, I think a lot of times when we go through that, and by the way, I've heard similar things from from my wife, so I'm speaking from personal experience as well. I think one of the best things in marriage therapy that that I've heard from a counselor that I've worked with personally, they talked about this notion of keeping things clean on your side of the street. Of course, the other person, I'm sure there's shifts and changes the other person can make as well. But they talk about this notion of the responsibility of keeping things clean on your side of the street. And something, I think a through line in all of your books, though maybe these words don't directly come up, and even when I hear your messages, whether they're in social media or if I hear you speak, the through line that I hear in your books, John, is something about taking personal accountability and responsibility for your experience uh, about the, the quote unquote, keeping it clean on your side of your street. Uh, would you say that's accurate? So true. I became someone who, you know, I was a victim and I became someone who really owned it. I was the carrot. I was the egg. I was allowing the conditions, the hot water to weaken me, to soften me like the carrot. I was also allowing the stress and the, the, the fear to cause me to be bitter and angry and hardened like the egg. And I changed. I became a coffee bean where the coffee bean transforms the environment it's in. So when it's in hot water, it makes coffee. So the coffee bean is not impacted by its environment. It transforms the environment. And that was where I owned my power, where I owned my my ability to change. And And I think so often in the past, writing this book as I'm reading my words, thinking about my life, yes, I was a victim to the circumstance. I blamed everyone but myself. I was a blamer, a complainer, 
and I didn't own anything. And that was the beginning of owning my actions, of owning my attitude and understanding that I had the power to change my life, that, that I was no longer a victim. And that's where it all starts. So yes, personal accountability, owning the power from within to impact the life on the outside. And once you do that, the willingness to change begins then the understanding that you can change the things, things around you and then you change for the better and then you change things for the better. Thank you. That That's a great explanation, a way to think about that. And I'm curious, you know, a lot of people that I work with and people that come to me after talks, these are these men and women that I think are exactly where you are. Say they're in their 30s, early 30s, and they're in place where their career is very important to them. And maybe it's taking off and they really want to dig in and dive in and, and self-actualize from a career perspective. And then on the flip side, of course, they, they come home from that career and being that, that go-getter and hungry. And they have, as you mentioned, uh, a wife or a husband and maybe two young kids and they feel this this tug john between the person that leaves the house every single day to go pursue those endeavors those things that are important to them that that call to the wild and then they come home and i think some people maybe feel a bit of a a, a resentment that they're that they have the family and these other responsibilities that may quote unquote be holding them back whether that's a, a false view or not how did you and how would you suggest others um i'm gonna use a word that maybe isn't always possible balance or, or deal with that that tug of war. And even as I say the word war, I'm sure war is the wrong example to think about family <laughs> and work. Well, in many ways it is. It is a battle. And I've learned that it's not balance. It's rhythm that we seek. Mm. You have to find the rhythm that works for you. If you are at work and you're thinking about home and then you're at work I mean, then you're at home, sorry, and you're thinking about work, right? What that leads to is a, a double dose of guilt, which leads to a double dose of misery. And so you never engage where you are. I learned over time, you have to engage at work and then you have to be engaged at home. Now, mm. I get the resentment you're talking about because early on, I saw my family as something that was in the way of my success. I saw my wife and my kids as holding me back from the success I wanted to create. Over time, what I learned was when I engaged at both places and I served at work and I served the people at home, I got better. When I learned to serve them, not only did they improve, but I improved. And so we often think that we have to focus on ourselves, but the greatest self-growth strategy is to help others grow. And the more we help others grow, the more we help others improve, we improve. And that's been my journey. But again, I get the resentment part because... I looked at it that way, but I have found that when you come home and you're with them and you're engaged with them, you feel so good about yourself. And then when you go to work, hey, you feel good about yourself. Now you're going to perform better at work. You give everything you have at work. You come home, you feel good. And now you're ready to engage at home. Yes, you might be tired, but don't use that as an excuse to go sit on the couch, turn on the TV and check out, engage with them. And again, I had to learn that. I made the mistakes, but there was an evolution where my family became a priority. My wife was the priority. The kids were the priority. And then the work actually grew. Like the carpenter, power of a positive team, power of positive leadership, coffee bean. My greatest best-selling books besides the energy bus happened after I really learned servant leadership. I love the distinction you just made because, again, we all hear people talk about the word balance all the time. And your shift to use the word rhythm for me just connected some dots that haven't been previously connected. And even the distinction between engage at work and be engaged at home rhythm makes so much sense. Even as you think about a band on a stage, 
Um, as you think about teams and the work you do with teams, and since we're talking about personal relationships, we can go there as well. It sounds like you had to make a shift from viewing potentially your, your family and your kids uh, as an adversary to transition that to viewing them as an ally. And I think that's probably the same way in the workplace and what you see when you go in your corporate talks across the globe, when a lot of people look at their teams, that man or woman who they're working with, sometimes as an adversary, as competition, as opposed to looking at them as an ally. Is that accurate to say? Yes. It's all about focusing on you. You know, it's really about showing up every day and being being your best for your for, for for others. Like you be your best for yourself, right? You give everything that you have to be your best for yourself and then for others. And when you're doing that every day, right? You said you're always taking care of your side of the street. You always feel good about you. For me, like my wife, my motto became the more I love my wife, the more I love my life. It wasn't about what she would do. It wasn't about getting something back from her. It wasn't happy wife, happy life. No, the more I love my wife, the more I am a good husband, the more I feel good about myself and what I'm doing for the relationship. That's all I need to control every day. Control what you can control at work. You go to work, you show up, you be a great team member, you be committed, you give everything you have to the team, you do the best work you can, you plant yourself where you are, bloom where you're planted, and you'll grow into the leader that you're meant to be. And people around you will notice, you'll be promoted. It happens all the time. So don't focus on, oh, so-and-so is not committed. Oh, they're not committed. That person's not committed. So I'm not going to be committed. No, you be the committed one. And it's amazing what happens when you, when you do that. So I think that's what we're talking about here. Look at the people around you as not adversaries. I'm going to give everything I have to make them better and do everything I can to be the best team member I can be. And when you do that, you'll start to see who the energy vampires are. You start to see who the people who have no interest in your own growth, but that's okay. You're not in charge of them. You're only in charge of what you can do every day. And if you have a bunch of people on a team with that mindset, you're going to build a great team. So you're focused on we, not me. You're focused on creating allies, not adversaries. But when there is competition, because let's face it, we are in some environments with sales, for instance, where there's competition. We're in sports where there's competition. Like, hey, I want to be a starter. My best friend is also on the team and we're competing against each other. You have to look at it as that we are competing for each other, not against each other. That is, we work hard to be our best. We're going to make each other better in the process. And so we're competing for each other to help each other grow. If you look at Nadal and Federer and Djokovic, they've made each other better over the years as they've all strived to be number one. So along the way, they're friends, but they're competing and they wouldn't have been as great if, if they didn't have each other. That's a great example. And I'm going to follow that up, John, with, with two, probably the most specific questions that I'm going to ask you on this. And maybe they'll get into tactics a little bit, but I'm just curious your perspective on this. And I speak from a personal place, but also from a place of, of clients as well, who as we're on this relationship kind of a dynamic in the conversation, there are those men and women that are busting their butt, kicking butt at work, and they have careers. And what they feel sometimes, what they've shared with me is that while they're out there on the road, sometimes for days at a time or those long hours of the work that at the office that they can't always control, John, they feel this internal guilt for being gone. Uh, and what, what it means is sometimes that means they're not fully present when they need to be present when they're on the road working or they're at the office. In your experience, for, for someone who has traveled or who travels a lot and you know has had young kids at home when you've been gone, have you ever personally felt that 
that guilt for, for being away, making a living, providing for your family? And if so, how did you balance that and stay present in doing what you're supposed to be doing? Of course I, I, I felt that way. But here's the thing. When, when you see it as a rhythm, you are away from everyone and there's a rhythm. So there's a season for everything. And that's a season to be on the road. When you come home, it's a season to rest and recharge. And so what we would do is look at the year and find balance in the course of the year. I'm going to work really hard right now. These are my speaking engagements. We're going to be gone a lot here. But guess what? When I'm home these weekends, we're going to make a lot of time and spend these time, this time together. Then we're going to go on this family trip during this holiday. And we're going to spend the summer. We're going to do this during July. And we're going to do this during December. And we're going to do this this weekend. So the key is to plan accordingly and look at your year and find balance in the year, rhythm right along the way. So there's a season. If you look at, if you look at, you know, planet, you look at the earth revolving right around the sun. And as it, as it, as it, as it goes around and as it spins, right, we have days and then we have weeks and we have months and we have a full year. And so you find the seasons in the course of the year. And there'll be a time where you're going to work really hard. You might travel for a month and be gone a lot. But knowing that when you get home, really then make time as part of another season to recharge, to spend that quality time and to invest in the family. And we did a good job of that. And yes, there were times I felt guilty. I wanted to be at home, but we knew this was what we had to do. This is what we did. This is how it worked. But here's the great thing. My daughter, who's now 21, graduating college, wow. I asked her, I said, Jay, did I travel too much? Was I gone too much? And she said that, I don't remember you gone a lot. I remember you home a lot. And I was gone a lot. And she said, I remember you home because you know, you were always involved in my things. And so when I was home, I was really engaged that's not an excuse to just say, oh, I'm going to travel all the time and then I'm going to be engaged. But when I was home, I was really engaged. And it's funny. That's what she remembers. She remembers you know, in June and July going on these road trips for her lacrosse tournaments and club lacrosse. And I was there all the time with her. She remembers all those moments. And that just showed me that the seasons were the key. That's a what well, just you mentioning rhythm and seasons, and I'm hoping this is mentioned in your book as well. I think this is going to be really helpful to a lot of people, including myself. And I think you may have answered the question in this, but I have to just ask the second question that I mentioned that's a little bit more specific, and that is you, you mentioned the word being engaged. And I, and I can't tell you, John, years ago, something that broke my heart, someone I was dating. They, they would see me out and about during my TV days and how I would engage with strangers and at events, et cetera. Same way I've seen John Gordon. If, if anyone has met John Gordon in, in person, John, you can walk up to a stranger, anyone, connect with them like, like it's nothing. Uh, but the person said to me, you know, I wish that you could give me half the energy that you give to strangers. I can see you light up a room of thousands of people or light up that stranger you met in line at Starbucks. But sometimes when you get home from being on the road or those long days, we're not always getting the best of you because you are fatigued or tired or maybe that the extrovert that you had to bring on the stage is now reco recovering as an introvert at home. So I'm curious if you've experienced that. And again, is that maybe just a, you look at it from the lens as a season, if there is that fatigue and that tired from giving so much in your profession that when you come home, you don't have the same energy uh, that you would like to have. No, that happens because we feel comfortable giving the people closest to us our worst. Ooh. We feel comfortable dumping on them and coming home tired and pretty much giving them our worst because it's built up inside of us. What I've learned is you got to transform 
what's inside of you. It's not about anything outside. You got to make sure that you're giving the people closest to you your best and they deserve your best. And let me tell you, my family got my worst. I mean, early on, yes, they got my wife would say, you know, everyone thinks you're great and everyone thinks you're great except us. That was hard. And I wanted to be great. And yet I would always give my family, you know, my worst. And then as I became a different person, I worked on myself. I started doing this. See, as I started writing these books, I started to really change. Like the best of me was sharing this information that was just flowing out of me. And then I had to live up to the person who was writing this material in these books and actually walk the walk and do what I was writing about. And so I became a better person. Every book I've written has made me a better person along the way. Not perfect, but so much more improved. And over time, you know, I just grew and grew in that way. So my family got my best more and more over time. And I would really make a conscious effort, you know, to bring them my best and really focus on that because they deserved it. You want to give your best to the people who will be crying at your funeral. Mm. You don't want to be where you're a hero in everyone else's eyes and the people closest to you think you're a jerk. That's how you know if you're real or not. What do the closest people around you say about you? What do they think about you? And if they don't think you're a hero, if they don't think you're great, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. John, you just, man, I'm sure a lot of people right now are listening to this and they may have a little bit of a pit in their stomach and they're, they're feeling a little bit of sadness, that, that good sadness, because one, that they've had a real face-to-face moment of maybe how they're behaving, but also acknowledging there are some real tangible shifts that, that they can make. And when I'm talking about people, man, I'm talking about me as well, because this is such a gift to hear these words coming from you. I know you mentioned you had the second thing uh, in terms of the best thing that ever happened to you. I, I want to save that one for another recording uh, of a podcast. It's a quick one, though. Um, Can I tell you real quick? It's it's a pretty yeah, funny please, one. Please. The second best thing was the day I sold my restaurants. <laughs> that was the second best event in my life because I told my wife, I love her. I love our kids. But the day I was able to sell my restaurants because they were so draining, so tiresome, and I just wanted to focus on writing and speaking – and the day I saw them, I felt so free. It was like the best feeling ever. Better than selling a boat and getting rid of a boat, right? Selling those restaurants freed me to finally focus on what I truly felt like I was here to do, and that was write and speak. And so selling the restaurants was one, was one of the best days of my life. Not to get too deep into it, but I think a lot of people probably don't know that, that John Gordon had a whole other life, if I'm correct, in, in Atlanta, correct? In, in Atlanta, but we moved to Jacksonville. I second mortgaged our home, $20,000 in credit cards to opening up a, a Moe's Southwest Grill franchise. I would eventually open up four of them and then sold one off and then I had three and then they were so burdensome, always dealing with issues and problems at the restaurants. And then competition came in. And so I was making all this money. Now I'm starting to not make as much money. And I knew I wanted to write and speak and do it full time. And then finally, someone came to me and said they wanted to buy my restaurants. And the day I sold them was just such an amazing day of of, of freedom. It was such a gift to be able to sell and then say, okay, I'm now going to focus on this. Yeah, and I'm sure it took a lot of courage in that moment. Yeah, you were excited. And for that man or woman who maybe owns a business, who wants to make a transition or a pivot, it takes a lot of courage to, to say yes to that because you don't, you, know, you don't know about the unknowns. Maybe you know about what you did last year at the restaurant, what you can expect this year, but you're, you're going into uncharted territory. That's brilliant. What a great question. You're so insightful, Antonio, because you – yeah, that's what happened. exactly what happened. I was so fearful in some ways because 
I didn't know what the future held. I wanted to focus on writing and speaking. I wasn't doing a lot of it at the time. Didn't know how successful I would be. My wife did not want me to sell the restaurant. I said, there are no other options. Like there are no other options. I have to focus on this. She said, what happens if it doesn't work? I said, no, I have to do this. And so I, I just went for it. I sold, went for it. We were making really good money with the restaurants at the time. Like it seemed like good money. And amazingly like sold. And now I probably make, I don't know, 20 times what I made at the restaurants doing what I'm called to do. I like that notion of it seems like good money because right now some people are listening to this and it seems like a great job. It seems like great money. Maybe it seems like a great relationship. Maybe it seems like a great city. However, you did something unique that I think a lot of people are unwilling to do and that's willing to have faith uh, and willing to bet on yourself and not only just bet on yourself and go out on a limb, but obviously put in the work, the effort that's required to to get the results that you, you're definitely harvesting today. And that's going to transition to to our last question. I'm so glad you, you shared that, John. But my last question for you is, you know, as I talk to people across the country, when people talk about the best thing, John, they always talk about things in the past, you know, oh, when I graduated from college, that was the best thing. When I got married, that was the best thing. Or when we bought our home, that was the best thing, kids, et cetera. And I agree. All those things are amazing. They're powerful, pivotal moments in our life. And I, and I firmly believe, though, it's important to live life like the best thing is ahead of us, not behind us, because we show up a little bit differently that way. So my last question for you, John, is how do you live how do you put energy forward to make sure the best thing is ahead of you as opposed to behind you? You have to let go of the old in order to create the new. And so when I sold those restaurants, I made space and room to create the new. And from there, you know, it was a struggle because I was I, I didn't know what the future held. Things dried up. Next thing you know, I'm walking and praying and the energy bus came to me and I wrote it in three and a half weeks and that would change my life. And I would have never done that if I didn't let go of the old. So for me to, to always move forward, I'm letting go of the past and I'm looking forward to creating the future. I'm believing that the best is yet to come. And I don't want to be defined by my past. I don't even want to be defined by the success I have right now. What am I working on? What am I creating? The other night, it was a Sunday night and I had this... Um, incredible angst in my gut that I had to write this newsletter for Sunday night to, to go out Monday morning. And I still write it. I started in 2002 and I still write it every day. And then I laughed at myself in that moment. because I'm like, okay, I've sold over 4 million books and you know, I've, I've really accomplished a lot in, in this work. And here I am all nervous and have this angst about writing a newsletter that's going <laughs> to go out Monday. And it was because I wanted to make it great because I wanted it to be special. It was about building greatness and sharing ways that people could build greatness in their life. And I, to me, it was really important. So I think it's about always focusing on getting better, never thinking you've arrived, being humble and hungry and believing that your next work is your best work. That's it. Your next work is your best work. Be a craftsman. Be a craftswoman. Always believe that, that your best work is ahead of you and be excited about what you're building. Well, John, I can't thank you enough for taking time to, to do this interview and have this, this conversation. I always appreciate our time together when we get to see each other in person. And even this right now, I, I know already that folks are getting a lot of value out of this. Uh, on the show notes page, I'll have a link to all the places that you can find John Gordon and a list of his books that I'm sure many of you already own. So once again, John, thank you so much for making time today. Antonio, thanks so much, man. I, I love our talks. I love our walk. So looking forward to another walk next time I'm back in California. Can't wait. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. 
Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonionevs.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 